Um, and that's a powerful message. That idea of, I give you my life, give me faith. You know, we were uh, talking as a worship team back here earlier this morning, and we were listing out the different songs we're going to play, and then for the prayer service afterwards. And April was saying, okay, so we're going to do Oceans, we're going to do this song, we're going to do that song, but we're throwing out, uh, what, Saving, Savior, please. I was like, the familiarity, right? We're throwing out the Savior, please. And it was, I was just kind of chuckling to myself because when you get used to something, you kind of miss the sanctity of it sometimes. Which I think is what was going on when Jesus is being challenged by this, this legal expert and he says, so what, what is the greatest commandment, right? And we've all heard it. If I said, what's the greatest commandment, what would you guys say? You would chant incoherently. Perfect. <laughs> well, and Mark, um, I think sometimes we miss the depth of something because we just get used to hearing it. Kind of like we throw out Savior, please, and we don't stop to think about what we actually just said. Mark 12, 28 to 34, one of the scribes approached, and he heard them debating and saw that Jesus answered them well. So he asked him, which command is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is, listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no command greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you're right, teacher. You've correctly said that he is one and there is no one else except him. And to love him with all your heart and with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is far more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And no one dared question him any longer. (laughs) I don't really have that level of authority. People still question me all the time. But Jesus takes everything and he boils it down. And I think sometimes we just throw that all together, right? Okay, yeah, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Which means, okay, I worship Jesus and I try and be nice to you guys. (laughs) But we kind of just move past the weight of that. You know, one of the one of the big struggles that I had early on in my faith, I was about 20, 22-ish. I spent a year teaching at a Mennonite school and and living in the back of it in this little 15-foot trailer. I've had kind of an eclectic spiritual life, but uh, go be Mennonite some point in time, not while I'm here still pastoring, because you're not supposed to tell your people to do that, but it's really, they're amazing. Anyway, so it was Mennonite for a while, and I remember this was like about 99, give or take, 2000. 
And we'd come out of the, the war in Iraq, and, and I remember reading about suicide bombers like blowing stuff up. And at the time, I was fairly new to faith, and I was really trying to understand what does it mean to give your life to God. And I remember thinking as I sat this one night, I went outside under the play structure outside underneath the stars, and just looking up at heaven, and I was like, I wish I had that kind of passion, God, that I would be willing to die for you. I mean, it's remarkable, isn't it? I mean, horrible but remarkable. I mean, these are people who so deeply love God that they're willing to kill themselves. And I thought, man, I wish I had that kind of passion. But then I also realized that kind of passion's really dangerous. That it needs to be balanced with, with reason, logic, study, understanding. But here's the same thing. I, you know, one of the guys that I worked with really closely, who was Mennonite, was a brilliant scholar. I mean, the guy could lay out the Bible and what they believed and why they believed it and how you should do it, and he could study. I mean, he taught himself Hebrew and Greek. I, I, he was this amazing biblical knowledge guy, and he was a total jerk. Like, I really didn't like him at all. <laughs> he had all the intellect, none the heart. And at the same, in the same vein as I was sitting out here wrestling, I was thinking about this other person that was in my family who was a pastor that I deeply, deeply admired. And she loved helping people. She loved um, you know, serving and caring and bringing in homeless people and taking care of them and this amazing heart to care for the least and the broken. And yet, really had very little passionate desire to follow Jesus. And there's this tension that I sat there in the dark on top of the play structure and wrestled with. God, do you want me to be passionate and full of vigor and excitement? Do you want me to be, well, you know, have all the knowledge and all the study and all the stuff? Do you want me to serve, love, and care for people? And aware that we have this tendency to go towards one or the other and lose the rest. And so I asked, God, what, what is it that's most important? And that scripture we read came to mind. Do them all. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. See, and I think... The tr what I was trying to do is I was trying to get God to, to give me the easy way. Like, we're all wired one way or the other, right? Some of us are more passionate and emotional and heart in nature. Some of us are more intellectual. Some of us are more serving-oriented. Like, I don't know how many of you would, like, voluntarily go to seminary. But 
probably most of you would go, well, A, that's a really poor financial decision. And B, that just sounds awful. I don't know how many of you would say, oh man, I just, I really want to go and give my life serving the homeless and the poor and the, the broken and the downtrodden. And in my heart I go, Jesus tells me to do that, I have to. But it doesn't really speak to me. You see, what I wanted Jesus to do was to give me a specific thing that I could focus on that matched up well with my personality. I wanted to be told, hey, you know what? You be passionate. And I'll have people who do the intellectual piece and I'll have people who do the serving piece, but I want you just to be passionate. And I would imagine each one of us in here have a way that we want God to tell us how to best live our faith. Okay, yeah, God, I'll study for you. Don't ask me to go care for that homeless person. They creep me out. Or, okay, God, I'll be passionate and follow you and worship you and be in love with you, but let's not get into this whole intellectual study, break things down, wrestle with the details and the headpiece. Right? We, we all have the ways that we want to live out our faith. But here's the thing. God has called us to live holistically. And so over the next little bit, Brian and I are going to, for the next three weeks, talk about the heart, the head, and the hands. Now, apologies, that was the introduction. <laughs> because today I'm going to talk about the heart, which is the way that I am most naturally inclined in my spirituality. It's the way that, that I connect best with God and with others. I love the heart, passion, connection piece. It's just kind of the way I'm wired. And so I get to speak out of that wheelhouse. Um, but I am well aware that I need the balance of the others. And Brian is too. And so... If this sermon or this piece doesn't speak to you, uh, A, you should probably figure out how to let it speak to you. And B, it'll be better next week. (laughs) (laughs) See, John Wesley deeply believed that to be a holistic Christian, you needed all of these aspects in your life. But when it came to the heart, he said that the goal of our hearts was to be, and he used this fancy term, well, not really all that fancy, but sanctification, holiness, being completely transformed. And so if you're going to have a goal, you need to know what the goal is, right? Like if you're going to shoot for something, you need to know what you're shooting for. So let me just lay it out in Wesley's words, what his goal or his understanding of what your heart should be. Sanctification is the loving of God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. This implies that no wrong temper, none contrary to love, remains in the soul, and that all the thoughts, words, and actions are governed by pure love. That's pretty easy, isn't it? (laughs) 
Sanctification is having every heart, thought, motive, being of your entity motivated and filled with love and acted out of love. That is the goal of Christian faith. Spoiler alert, it's not to get you to heaven someday. It's for your entire body to be transformed, your entire soul and self to be motivated by love. He then went on to explain, kind of, he said, well, so, so you set love on the throne in the middle, and then you have out of this, the love of God, you have the love of man around it, and then you have around the outside of that the applications of it, right? So you have, he called them the holy tempers. Um, I think we've lost something in our language. That's amazing, the holy tempers. But the holy tempers were long-suffering and patience, gentleness, meekness, fidelity or faithfulness, temperance, intentional self-restraint. And then around that is a circle of all the mercy we can offer to everyone around us. In, in fact, he took it a step further, the jerk, and said, the mercy, the calling of a heart motivated by love is to do all the good you possibly can to your enemies. And if you can't do good for them, then you should continuously be in prayer for their good. Amen. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's kind of my reaction. <laughs> <laughs> because that's, um, I read that and I went, whew, I suck. I mean, how are we doing at that? Being motivated entirely by love, even to those we hate. See, and I realized, uh, yeah, so I'm not that yet. And incidentally, the word sin is amartia, which means to miss the mark. It's an archery term. And so if you think about this mark being living your life entirely motivated by love for others, how often do you miss it? That's sin. I mean, you can list any individual action that is a sin, right? Like if I kick my wife right now, that's a sin. But it's not because I kicked her, and I don't do that normally for the record. <laughs> Just to clarify, it's not the action that's the sin. It's the heart missing the mark of being motivated by love. And you look at the standard of what our hearts are supposed to be, and I'm way off. But here's the cool thing. God doesn't leave us alone in that. 
The work of God is to continue to help us be transformed and to reorient our heart and our motives and our things. Um, you know, I, I'm a ordained through the Free Methodist Church. It came after my Mennonite phase. And, and they send out each year this little thing to us that says, hey, do a spiritual checkup and let us know how you're doing. And so Brian and I had talked about doing this sermon series, and then like a day later, I get this checkup from, from my denomination. And they say, uh, we want you to fill out this form about heart, head, and hands. <laughs> And I was reading over this list, and, and they're, they're saying, you know what, you need to make sure you build things into your life to protect your heart and to help you mature. And it's things like this. Work on rooting. How are you doing? They pose it as a question. I'm just going to say it as not a question. Do you root your identity and calling firmly in Jesus Christ? Like, who I think I am, who you think you are, do you root that in who God says you are? And who Jesus says you are? Or do you root that in, I don't know, Starbucks lattes and fancy cars and other stuff? Being a pastor and being well-liked by people, being good at speaking. What do you root your identity in? Do you practice worship, prayer, and surrender before God? on a personal level do I put myself before God and actually worship him? Do I build and maintain healthy, close relationships with people? You see, it's, it's not all about this ethereal, oh, my heart feels like Jesus. You need to have healthy relationships in order to love well and to be loved. Do you understand and are you aware of your strengths and weaknesses? Like, am I okay with saying, yeah, I'm really not good at that? And I'm really, yeah, I'm good at this. Do I understand how my communication impacts others, both, both positively and negatively? <laughs> Go ahead and give you a second to think about the last few things that you said to people. Which direction did that push him? This one I didn't really like a whole lot. Do you willingly seek the perspective of others? Do you tend to personal, physical, emotional, and mental needs? Do you live a life free of unhealthy addictions or compulsions? Yeah. I play um, this little game on my phone, Confession Time, called Marble Strike Force. <laughs> I spend an inordinate amount of time building little Marvel Universe teams and going to war with other people around the world. I spend a lot of time. <laughs> <laughs> what are our compulsions and our addictions? 
Do you remain teachable and accept correction when it's given? You see, these are all ways to start looking at how is your heart surrendered to Jesus and to love? And every time I fill this form out and I send it back going, I'm really bad at this, I'm working on that one, I'm not so great at this, sorry about that, you can take away my ordination if you want to. (laughs) And they always write back and go, you're so honest. Um, (laughs) Sorry. But how are we motivated? How is our heart? You know, my vision of heaven would be if all those things that I just talked about, if you could answer beautifully, right? So, my friend Oliver's visiting. (laughs) But if Oliver had no fear, no insecurity, no doubt, no uh, need to hide, and I had the same, right? If I was never afraid of how you perceived me, if I never worried about being insecure or whether or not you loved me or I loved you, can you imagine what our conversations would be like and our journey would be like? Now imagine that with every person in this room. Go ahead and turn around and look at each other. What if none of you felt that little like, oh, that's awkward? What if we had no insecurity? What if we just loved each other? What if we weren't working on finding our identity in things other than Jesus and who he made us to be? That, to me, is heaven. That, to me, is what it will be like someday when everything is made right, when all our hearts are purely motivated and held by love. And that's the goal. But we're a long way from that right now, aren't we? And fortunately, God gives us um, a path for moving forward. There's a whole mess of them, right? I mean, we'll, we'll talk about spiritual disciplines, right? The importance of coming together and studying. The importance of, of collectively gathering and worshiping together. The importance of quietness and solitude. The importance of asking your wife, what have I done wrong lately? These spiritual disciplines that bring us before God and say, hey, here I am. Transform me. Change me. But one of my favorite, and this is because I'm more heart-oriented, is prayer and worship. God calls us to come before him and to put ourselves in front of him, to, to see the standard, to see the mark, to look at this, I don't want to say being, him who, who is all that is love and good put ourselves there and say, I love you. Speak to me. Challenge me. Heal me. And that's part of what we're going to do today at the end of service. 
We're going to have a time of just collectively coming together and worshiping and praying. Because, well, that spot of coming before God and saying, hey, reorient me, is where you begin to be transformed. I have an interesting analogy of all of these various things that we're talking about, the spiritual disciplines, prayer, worship, even, you know, working on the physical stuff. Hey, come hang out and do the motion and mace class and work on your body, right? It's all these different things that help build discipline and and perspective and life and holiness. And, and, And the analogy I want to use for this is the oldest game in the world. Anybody know what it is? Not checkers, but similar. Huh? Nope, not backgammon. Not chess. Go. That's not a command. That's the name of the game. It's called Go. And it looks kind of like this. It's a board 19 by 19 lines. And there's 181 black stones and 180 white stones. Black always goes first. Uh, So, and the goal is you put the stones... On, the, on these intersections. And if you go to the next picture here, the goal is to surround territory that's empty in the middle and you get to claim it. So like the black there surrounding an area, they get one point for that black, the empty space in the middle. And the white gets points for the corners up there. And as you play, you each take turns one at a time. You keep placing spaces. Go to the next one you can surround your opponent's points or stones. And when you do, go to the next one, you take their pieces off the board and you get to claim those as your points. The game keeps going and going and going until it looks like this. That's the end. You keep going until there's no more moves. And whoever has the most territory claimed wins. Now, the reason I think this is, works really well with the spiritual life is I think everything inside of us is this game between our selfish choices and decisions and actions and decisions motivated by God and out of love and spiritual disciplines and intentional choices for good. Actually, you can keep that up for a sec. And the whole goal is to have our lives, the territory of our hearts and our souls and our minds, surrounded, well, hopefully by white, light. (laughs) This is a pagan. And here's the deal. By building these things into our lives, by placing stones of worship, by placing stones of study, by placing stones of intentional goodness or giving or serving or loving or meekness or faithfulness, by placing stones, we can claim territory in our hearts. We can let God own and claim the territory in our lives. Of course, the flip side is true. Placing stones of 
loving things we're not supposed to and too much marvel strike force and selfishness and revenge and hate claims territory on the other side. You know, I was reading a Wikipedia article on this. And they gave some guidelines for people who are starting out playing Go. And I thought it was really funny or appropriate. So the first thing was an old proverb paraphrased recommends you to lose your first 50 games as soon as possible. This is good advice, but remember to pay attention to why you were losing, of course, so that when you lose again, you need not lose in the same way. I think this is true spiritually. Go and try and figure out how to hear God's voice and see passionately what he calls you to do. And then see how you missed it. And then learn to listen again. Try a spiritual discipline. I don't know, that touchy-feely prayer worship time thing, that's not really my gig. Eh, give it 50 times. God will bring you around. I don't really like sitting down and doing quiet time, and I feel like I get nothing out of it. Keep trying. It doesn't, it's one little stone at a time. Keep your calm. Even if your position deteriorates unexpectedly, a close game can avalanche against a player, often not simply because they lost ground locally, but because they let fear overtake them and lost their concentration. Hang in there. If something does go wrong, at least make every effort to contain and minimize the loss. If it comes to it, lose or resign gracefully. The odds of playing a divine move, quote, a single move that can turn a losing game into a winning game are very slim, especially against experienced players. I mean, this doesn't sound like how we should live our lives. <laughs> like, just keep going. And here's the deal. There isn't a magic bullet to spiritual maturity. There isn't a magic bullet to having your heart transformed. It's not like one day you're going to pray the right prayer and all of a sudden cherubs will appear around you and light will shine on you and you will never care about anything else again. It's one move after another. We step out. We try. Keep going. The third thing, play demonstration games with stronger players. These are games where the more experienced player will play certain moves so that you recognize the proper responses. In other words, find somebody to model it. Find a mentor. Find someone spiritually who's doing something that's more mature than you are and work with them. Talk with them. Learn from them. Let their experience help transform your heart. And the thing is, is you get more and more mature. The things that used to matter so much the territory that used to be the little black tokens, the ways that we identified ourselves, our insecurities, our fears, start to fade away. 
which changes your heart. You stop worrying what you used to. Jeanette and I were back. Actually, no, I don't think she was there. I was back visiting my grandparents in Minnesota. And my, par- my grandparents were within a few years of dying. They were old and they were living in an assisted care facility. And we were down having lunch. And this guy named Bill came walking into the room. <laughs> you were there? Uh, yeah, she was there. She's laughing. She remembers. And this guy, Bill, came walking in, and he walked up to our table, and he went, Hi, Dick. That's my grandpa's name. Hi, Dick. I look over, and Bill has no pants on. He's wearing a Depends, and he has a shirt tucked into it. (laughs) Now, I never want to get there. But this guy just didn't care anymore. (laughs) It was time to eat. It's where I'm at. I like you. I want to meet your family. I'll come say hi. (laughs) He moved beyond all the shallow, crazy, weird things. Now he was also demented. But... But there is this place where as you mature, all the petty things just stop mattering. The things we worry and fret and stress about fade. And part of the way we do that is we spend time with God. We worship we pray. And he says things like, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough worries for itself. And he says things like, I've clothed the lilies of the field more beautifully than Solomon. Why are you worried about food and clothing? He starts saying, hey, these petty things that we cling to, Let me take them away. Let me change your heart. And so as we wrap up today, we're going to give you an opportunity here at the end of this worship time to stay and pray and worship longer. To put maybe one more little stone on that board of your life. To come before God and say, here I am. You know me. Here's where maybe I'm missing the mark. Here's where, man, here's where I need your help or I need to give this to you. Here's where I need to let you change my heart a bit. If, If you, you know, if you're worried about your kids, we've got that taken care of. The kids are doing some cool stuff with the youth. We're working on having the youth work with the grade school kids, and so they'll be taken care of. Uh, If you do need to leave, they will be over by the youth building, which is straight across the courtyard here, Um, so we're not keeping them. Um, You can go get them if you need to. Um, But we just wanted to invite you to stay. 
If you do need to go, awesome. Go find ways. Put white stones on your board. In other places, in other times. Let me close this in prayer for now. God, I thank you that in this amazingly complex, beautiful, intricate lives that you have given us, um, that you don't leave us alone. That when we wrestle with the light and the dark, the good and the bad, you give us um, opportunity to come before you, to let you change our heart. And so we give you our heart and our lives. We ask you to transform us. And we give you worship and praise. In your name, Jesus, we pray.